Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Silverstein, the podcast. That is our working title, maybe the title. Sometimes working titles just become titles. No, no. I thought we decided this on the last episode. Did we, though? Josh had the best ones, of course. That's what I mean. I think that's the name. Cast into Pieces. <laughs> Cast into Pieces is so good. It really is good. I do like it. Well, we'll see. Anyway, episode two. The first episode was a banger. I want to thank Mr. Wyatt Clough for interviewing us. That was a, a real treat. This week we have a very special guest, Mr. Sam Guayana, or however you say his name. He's produced a lot of stuff for us, including the last record, A Beautiful Place to Drown, uh, a couple of Redux installments, uh, a whole bunch of live stuff, and the record that this whole season is about, Misery Made Me. This episode will focus on the second single, the fifth track of the record, It's Over. And this is one of our favorite songs. I think this is one that rose to the surface pretty early in, you know, the getting together. You know, we had Bankrupt and now it was like, okay, we're getting together the other songs. Uh, and this one, I think we all felt was a, was a good one pretty early on. It might be worth noting that it was a contender for that first song to record. When we went in to make Bankrupt, uh, It's Over was kicking around. And I think we were right. debating what what song would be the best choice to go make and release first. So It's Over, definitely written after Bankrupt, but was, was hanging out around the same time that we recorded Bankrupt. I think it was the second song I worked on, to be honest. I think a conversation that we did have around the time was feeling that Bankrupt felt really, you know, of the moment and that it's over. I know at some point we had said like, this feels like it has a place on an album that was like yet to be completed. Like it felt like it was maybe going to be more a part. Like we didn't even know at the time if bankrupt would be a part of the album, if you know what the, what the group of songs would be. But it, I think we did in the moment have a conversation saying that like, we wanted to sort of save it's over for like a group of songs that would that would become an album. Absolutely. And look who just arrived, our very special guest, Sam Gana. What's up, man? Hello, how are you? Fantastic. It's really nice to sort of see your face and uh, uh, hear your voice, I think. Yeah, it's been a little bit since I've seen you guys. Yeah, you've been busy? You've been producing rock records or uh, what's been up? Uh, pretty much. I've been doing a lot of mixing lately, I find. Uh I think sort of just a lot of uh, beginning of the year stuff, people getting ready to go on tour and stuff. So they're like dropping a single and they're recording it themselves kind of thing. So they want to get it like done ASAP. So I've been doing a lot of that lately. Let me ask you how that works. If, if you get a bunch of tracks you didn't record that you're expected to put together and like, let's just say fix, uh, mm. is that, can that be a challenge? Yeah, it could be a pretty big one. <clears throat> um, these days I'm trying my best to like, be as involved in engineering if I'm just mixing, as long as the band's not like too far away. Like there's a couple opportunities where I'll like go record drums with the band. So even if they record all the guitars themselves or whatever, I can still kind of apply as much of my mix sound properly as possible. So I'm constantly trying these like little things and figuring out the smoothest way to sort of make it sound like me at the end of the day. Would you sort of like consult them on the engineering side too? Like saying like, this is how I like to do guitars. This is how I like to do bass. This is how I like to do drums to give them the tools to, uh, to kind of set you up for success. Yeah. A hundred percent. If it's, if, if say they're like, going to record it themselves and, uh, and I have the, like they haven't actually done it yet and I have the opportunity, I usually have like a sheet that I'll send out like, Hey, this is how I would engineer these things. Just sort of keep this in mind so when I mix it it's like as smooth as possible at the end of the day but don't worry about the tambourine because I will absolutely <laughs> track that myself and mix it as loud as possible I will abuse the hell out of the tambourine yes having gone this down this road in particular with Sam uh, as in Sam's mixed a bunch of stupid shit I've recorded on my own <laughs> the first thing on your sheet must be just give me the DI I don't want anything else you're gonna do to a guitar it, these days it is because like even though there it's so easy to get good guitar tones you have no idea how often i receive really really bad guitar tones i believe it right oh yeah i have like a call tomorrow with somebody and they've sent me tracks and they're like 
fine. But my first question is like, please tell me you have the DIs for this, please, so I can reamp this and make this awesome. What band is it? Uh, they're a Japanese band. I'm not sure what they're called. Good question. <laughs> okay. That's that's his way of saying I can't Wait, tell you. Wait, they're a Japanese. <laughs> Wait, they're a Japanese band? Sure, sign me up. They're probably good. I mean, everything well, in Japan's awesome. Yeah, the tracks are sick. The songs are actually really cool, but it's just like, I want to make them just a little bit better, so please send me some DIs. <laughs> well, Sam, uh, thank you very much, and welcome to the second episode of the of Silverstein, the podcast. Um, do you have a better name for it than Silverstein, the podcast? Do I have a better name? Yeah. Uh... No, <laughs> it would just be the cheesiest stuff. I'm not. I'm not Let's hear it. Something. Yeah, we're like we're something ready. dumb, like Silvercast, or I don't know, like some stupid thing like that. I don't know. Silvercast. <laughs> Silvercast. He just named it. Okay. It Welcome to Silver. Okay, we'll redo this. Okay, we're gonna start over. Jesus. Hello, everyone. Uh, okay, we won't. Um, Sam. So, well, thank you very much, man, for for joining us. I think the reason that we wanted to have you here on episode two is because misery made me really did start as a record as a whole record with recording at jucasa it's over being the first single other than bankrupt you know that came out yeah because they were all recorded together you know yeah now obviously like looking back to last summer when we recorded this record it all seems pretty magical now for you personally i mean how how do you look back on this? I know there's you've been through a lot professionally and personally over the last couple of years. When you look back at Misery Made Me, what are your first thoughts? I have this thing where I really struggle to remember a record when it's over. Like it's completely almost it's almost completely out of my head except that record's pretty clear cuz I feel like <laughs> I feel like I literally was going insane throughout the record until I got my haircut that day. <laughs> And that was like, no better way to describe my experience through that record was just like, let's do this. Let's go. Let's blah. Ah, ah. And then I get my haircut. I was like, okay, I know how to make a record. Let's keep going. Okay. It was a great haircut. It actually was. It was a great illegal haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, we weren't allowed to get haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think for context, um, people should know that, yeah, we, we moved into the studio on the indigenous territory of six nations. Um, probably it's about an hour out of Toronto, a little over an hour out of Toronto. And we, we lived there, uh, in the studio, there's, uh, two apartments that, uh, six of us, uh, were living, I guess five of us were living there. And, um, it was a bit closer for Paul Kohler to go home, but the rest of us were there for like six, six plus weeks, just living, breathing, and and like in our own little bubble there because, yeah, uh, restaurants weren't open. Uh, only essential services were really open. Yeah, we weren't allowed to get haircuts. So we were able to operate as uh, just, you know, just the six of us in this one building together. Yeah. Have you ever lived with a band like that while recording a record before, Sam? Not like that. <clears throat> when I went to Australia, it was kind of like that. Like I, I stayed at the studio, but none of the band members actually stayed with me. But that was the first time where like pretty much you guys were around 24-7 while we were doing it. It's exhausting, right? We're the worst. It is. Uh, no, you guys are actually awesome. It's great. <laughs> it is exhausting in the sense of like, I don't want to say overwhelming, but like I think you guys might have got it too a little bit where you guys hadn't been on the road or anything for so long. I, you know, we've all been cooped up and I still worked a lot throughout the pandemic and everything, but that environment felt so much different than my studio did that it was just a shock kind of to the system where, you know, here's been months of sort of being locked away and now we're kind of having fun and and feeling really, I don't know about you, but I felt really like stress-free after a few days. I didn't feel like any of the effects of COVID or the scariness or anything. It was just like, cool, we can zone in on this. We can do whatever we want, when we want, recording-wise while we were there. And we were just like waking up, getting ready to work, getting ready to like do whatever. It felt really nice. Yeah, totally. I think overexposure was the word that kind of came to mind when you were just talking just now. Like that, that feeling of like, well, I've been alone and now there's all these people around and we're doing all these things. But not in a bad way, right? Like I, I felt yeah. it was very uplifting. Not only just you guys, uh, the band and Sam, but you know um, Darren and Jill that that are the engineers at Jucasa, and 
everybody that worked there and the fact that we were living there and the fact that we were able to play golf for free uh, pretty much every day. Like all those things really did put us in a really positive space at a time when everyone in the world was feeling pretty fucking negative. Let's be honest. Yeah. Through all of COVID, I felt like I had been removed from normal life or from like a life I understood against my will and in a way I didn't find conducive to creativity or in a way that I liked at all. Like I was just like, felt like I'd been like forcibly removed from everything in, in my life that I cared about. But then going to make that record felt like I had like volunteered to be removed from normal life in a way that I liked. I was like, okay, like I'm going to do everything I want to do and nothing I don't want to do. I'm going to do it with people I like who I respect and I want to make art with. And like, that's what we did for six weeks straight. I didn't think about anything outside the studio walls apart from like the double bogey I made on 16 that morning, you know? (laughs) But like, I knew the next day I'd get a chance to get another crack at that. So it didn't weigh on me too much, you know? And like, I kind of felt the same way with the studio stuff. It's like, oh, today wasn't that productive a day. No sweat. Cause like, I have nothing going on in my life except to do this again tomorrow. Whereas like you make a record in Toronto, it's like 5 p.m. rolls around. I'm making, you know, I'm texting my you know, my girlfriend or my friends be like, what are we doing for dinner tonight? Like, where am I meeting people? It's like, none of that was happening. Yep. And it was the middle of the summer. Yeah. And the yeah. weather was amazing. And like, cause normally we're on tour in, in the summer, right? Like every summer for the last 20 odd years, we're on tour, but yeah, we got to enjoy sunshine, play basketball in between takes. You're golfing before, before studio time. Yeah. Even after studio that- time. Yeah, PK's got that that Scotty Scotty Barnes bank shot over there, man. I love it. Bank shot. But but it was it was overwhelming. Definitely for me, it felt very overwhelming on day one. It's like there's the six of us, the studio staff, our drum tech. Like there's like ten people in a room. I haven't seen ten people in a space in two years or a year and a half or whatever it was like it was like how do you socialize with that many people at one point but it was it was really cool and again got us back on track it's like we we make records this is our 10th record we've done this before this is familiar this is something we control and it was a lot of fun yeah i mean overwhelming was also the amount of songs we had and it's important to note we came into this record with more ideas of you know potential tracks potential songs than i think any record we've ever made by far and it was a lot to kind of decide okay what's going to make it what's not going to make it you know i remember we had the color coding the like a traffic light green yellow or red green was like okay this is like mostly a a full fleshed out idea yellow uh, sorta and red like uh, this got a lot of work to do but I gotta say it's over was definitely a green a green uh, uh, highlighter I think that was your job Bill started off with a highlighter and then we switched to the board with all the uh, little small with all the squares uh, squares that we made themes it was the cool definitely the coolest recording board yeah. we've ever done but like yeah. in picking the songs because we had so many I think what Shane was getting at here is like we had, say, like 20 ideas. I don't know. Maybe it was more. Maybe it was less. I can't really remember. But we would like yeah. listen through in the first few days and go like, OK, this one's green. As in, we're definitely going to record this one. It doesn't mean it's yeah. going to be on the record, but we're definitely going to record it. And then like an orange song would be like, we're probably going to record it. And a red one was like, yeah, uh, if we have a bunch of extra time. And yeah, and maybe we feel like it will get to this one. But there was like it was more an order of recording priority than it was. This is on or off the record because there was green songs that didn't make the record, you know, songs that like. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's because, yeah, we just because of how it fit the record in the end. But we got to tracking everything that I think we wanted to track, which was due in part to this very smart system of traffic light uh, color coding. It worked well. A little background on the recording. Usually when a lot of people make records, it's like you kind of bulk do every instrument you like. After pre-production, you do drums and then you do, which I mean, I always do drums last, but like, you know, you do one instrument, then the other instrument, the other. But we had it set up in my absolute dream way, which was like, let's just do whatever we sort of feel like that day on whatever song we sort of feel like. So what was nice was we got to space out like we had all the greens, we had all the oranges, and I don't know if any reds actually made it to the record, but it was like, 
just because we have all these greens doesn't mean we're going to record them all first. Like, let's actually take this week. Let's work on three songs, one of them being green, two of them being orange or vice versa. And like, really make sure that every song got its like complete and utter focus it needed at the end of the day. So nothing felt like, okay, well, you know, we've just bulk tracked a boatload of stuff. Now we're on a, an orange that nobody's really feeling. Are we really going to like, are we going to put the care into this or are we just going to sort of fly through it? Whereas like none of the songs felt like that. It was like every single song, regardless of the shape it was in when we started pre-production, got the same amount of love and care based on how we recorded it. And I think that only was possible by us, like all being there every day and sort yeah. of living there and having everything set up and everything just like ready to dive in at every moment. I think we also didn't want to do all of the easy stuff at the beginning or yeah. necessarily all the hard stuff. It was nice to sort of be like, okay, we know we're going to knock this song out of the park, but let's pair it this week with like something that we think needs a bit of work, something that, and then that way, when we were having these like creative moments, we were able to sort of like roll it into the other tracks too and be like, oh, we just like, kind of came up with this cool tone or this like cool, you know, method or, or we got this great vocal performance. Like let's roll that into this other thing that we're like workshopping a bit or this other thing that's like fully ready to go. Like, let's just nail it because like we're in the zone, right? Yeah. We get that creative confidence and then you get yeah. to apply it to something that's like the day before would have felt like a huge mountain to climb, but because you yeah. just like succeeded at doing something awesome, you're like, we've got the juice today. We've got the vibe. Like we can solve the problem posed by whatever incomplete demo for sure yeah. that was super key 100 percent. so getting back to it's over sam do you remember when you first heard this demo or or even the batch of demos if you remembered in your own green yellow red check mark system like how you felt about about this song in comparison if you thought it had kind of the potential if it if you thought it was middle of the road and then kind of how it ended up it's over is a weird one. It's over was one of the couple that we were talking about because we did bankrupt before we did everything else. Yeah. And I think at the time it was between bankrupt and it's over. Right. Mm -hmm. So for one, I think that sort of speaks to the fact that we, we all knew from the beginning that was like two really strong songs. I think in the moment I wanted to do bankrupt first because it was just like such a crazy song. And I think it was nice to, for you guys to just drop this single that is like, just insanity from beginning to end. Yeah. But yeah, so I think the first time I heard It's Over, it got a little eclipsed by Bankrupt. But then when I heard It's Over during the demo process of the rest of the record, it got better and better. It was a song, I think, which happens a lot with songs when I'm like doing pre-production or production. It's like sometimes the songs I don't like as much right away end up becoming one of like, or some of my favorite songs on the record. And that song definitely happened like that, where I remember being like, it's really strong. It's really good. We've got a, you know, a ton of really strong songs on this record, which was really exciting too. Where does it live with everything else? Right now, it's middle of the road. But by the time we sort of, I think it was like on vocal day, pretty much for that song, when we sort of finished writing that second verse and getting that bridge down and just getting the sort of like power that that song needed, it came together in my mind of like, okay, this is a, this is like a powerful song. This is definitely one of the like leading songs on the record. Absolutely. I want to play a little clip here of a very early demo from, from Paul Mark that has an alternative pre-chorus. I don't know if you've heard this before, Sam, but um, I hadn't heard it actually until today, and I find this very, very interesting. Ooh. So let's listen to this. I was listening to a lot of indie rock.
interesting. Very different pre-chorus. It almost seems like the pre-chorus that would have been in the song if the song was like done like 10 years ago. Dude, that's an astute observation because I'm surprised, Shane, that you play them in this order, but I do think it's it's kind of cool to reverse engineer yeah. it. Because like this song originally sounded nothing like this. Like uh, after Bankrupt, it makes sense that these were the two we were considering for that single because the beginnings of this song started in this se- uh, session I did with Carson and Grant, Carson Slovak and Grant McFarland, who are like the, their songwriting, producing, mixing thing called the Atrium. They worked with like ABR and people like that. And we did this session and they had brought this original like riff to the table and we kind of worked on it and wrote some lyrics and melodies and Carson, I believe it was Carson, sang it and sent it back to me. But the song was like completely different. Like it had like a way more like mid 2000s. It's a lot of this thing. Like I think they did a really good job and I needed it, but I it sort of bugs me when you ask someone for like a treatment or like an idea and they give you what they think Silverstein is based on like how they remember Silverstein. Right. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It's like. Okay, well, we're not doing it like that anymore. Like we want, I want, I'm coming to you because I want something like, I want your perspective. But it was more like that. And we were working with, but that pre-chorus was for that version of the song. But I always liked the like, I don't like this, the like my heart is beating faster and faster with this like climbing, yeah. ascending baseline thing. Like I liked the motif. Totally. Well, I think why the, the one that ended up on the record is better is just the tension that is built in there, right? The not only just totally. the drum, like the snare on on one, two, three, you know, right on the beat, but the the chords just shifting in that that really like, you know, like you feel you feel your your stomach fall fall out a little bit, of, uh, you know, that to me makes that chorus feel so much of a relief, you know. And and without totally. it, I don't I don't know if I even not to say I don't like the song, but I don't think it's half the song that it is that that we ended up finishing. But that chorus was new, so like that pre-chorus was written into a different chorus. Oh wow! Right. Oh, oh cool. So total Frankenstein. And so exactly. So like and and just so you, I think I sent you like an early demo with Carson singing that's like missing bass, and I don't think it has even the chorus melody, but it would have the chorus chords. So you could kind of piece it together in your mind if you want. But that later chorus, the one we are using the song that you heard in that demo, that's something that like Bill and I worked on. Like he was over and we were just working on those lyrics. And I was just like, it was again, one of those things is like, I'd just been searching for something that like really gave me that like, yeah, this is a fucking chorus. Like this is what it needs. And we just reverted to the simplest thing. It's like, what if those chords were just massive, heavy and like wide open? And then we had those lyrics come together. And then that pre-chorus was like the obvious choice. Right. But for a minute, if I don't know if you have it, but it'd be cool to hear it in close proximity. I got it right here. So this, uh, you want to introduce this clip, Paul Mark? Because so, you know uh, exactly what it is? Yeah, for sure. So this is like basically like the off the board demo from the like Zoom session I did with Carson and Grant. And this was like, I didn't have my recording rig set up. So like he, this is all their production guitars and vocals and everything. I was just like, sitting there talking like I am now. And we'll give him credit for being a better singer than uh, than this demo is, just so everybody knows. 100%. 100%. This is a demo. It was quick. This is just to show the idea. That's why I was... I did tell him, don't worry about the takes. I'm going to redo it all anyway. <laughs> I, I said it right, like right off the bat. Don't worry. No one will ever hear this, especially yeah. <laughs> on Silverstein, the podcast. Uh, Sil- Silvercast. Here we go. Uh, I'm sorry, Carson. This is the very early demo. So fun. I mean, that, I, I get that. I vibe that chorus. It's not. It's not bad. I get. I get. It's not the 
big like arena raw chorus that it's over is but i as a punk guy i like it it, it definitely feels yeah like a throwback and, and uh i don't even think i've ever heard that that yeah version. i never heard that one either no because like i buried it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it but yeah it wouldn't have been as striking right like yeah i think the the biggest thing that that hit me with hearing any version of the demo was the chorus right the way the drop out and the punch in the face like i mean that's just it though right like this is like perfect chronology talking about in the last episode i you know mentioned how like i didn't even want to be writing like i was sort of doing this against my will um so i certainly wasn't like couldn't get my like heart behind something that like didn't inspire me and it just felt like you know going over something that you know just kind of rewriting something that we maybe would have done in the past like i needed to have something really exciting happening so i didn't i can check the date here because i have the files in front of me but like i didn't reopen that song till like two months later is like when i gave it another look i just like started a new session and like kept basically the vocals and replayed everything underneath it and started experimenting with different chords and vibes until we got where we are and it took a really long time to get there because i knew the bones were cool but like yeah i remember that the day that i came over it was early january and i listened to that version of it with you paul mark and it was really that little like breakdown bit after the chorus that goes to halftime and just listening to it back there that moment like really inspired me and i was kind of like what if the chorus I went into that like that halftime kind of groove. Like, what if we did that in the chorus? And I remember we were talking a lot about that Manchester Orchestra record we really liked. And there's like mm. big fuzzy guitars and big open choruses. And we were, we were kind of referencing that. And, and then we kind of just started piecing things together and like everything just started coming, like coming together more towards the, the first clip that Shane played there. Totally. That was a great day. And I also think we were on a time thing think you were coming over so we could like i don't know if sports were back yet they must have been but maybe you were like coming over to like watch basketball and like drink wine or something we were like well it's gonna start like so we gotta whatever we're on here like we better get through it (laughs) and this was this was early january and we were really working in like a bubble situation where like we were allowed to interact with one other household and so i was spending a lot of time over there And I just sort of said, hey, maybe I'll come over early and we can like, I want to check out some of the demos. Like, let's work on some tunes. And you said like, oh, there's this one here I think you'd have a good perspective on. Like, I'd like to kind of workshop this together. And I also remember that like at the time you were like, you were like not, you had just got off Twitter and you were just like not watching the news. You were just like so over everything that was happening in the like news cycle. And um we were sitting there workshopping the song and like you weren't looking at texts, you weren't looking at your phone or anything. And like my phone, it just starts blowing up and it was January 6th. And I was like, oh boy. I don't mean to alarm you, but like Trump protesters have just taken the Capitol. And like you were like, we stopped and you were like, oh shit, like what the fuck? And then we started like, we put on CNN or something like we started kind of following it. And then we were like, okay, we got to get back to writing this. And then we kind of just like let it inspire us in the lyrics a little bit too. Fuck man, I forgot about that. We def for the record, we definitely didn't put on CNN. We put on Both something. Because there's not a TV down here. And cause right. I don't even know how I would watch CNN. <laughs> just for the record, it wasn't Fox News either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't watch CNN in this house. It's Fox News, OANN, uh, Newsmax, or the president's Twitter feed. Okay. That's where I get my news. No, no. You're right. I do. I re- vaguely remember this now. Man, I did a really good job psychologically shutting all that shit out but yeah you're right i mean and the feels like the that was the thing is like that song originally like it's over became you know the chorus and the name but originally it was called feels like the end and that was like it was more along the lines of the bankrupt lyrics because that's all i could really feel at that time was just like this sort of like anger and like myopathy about i hope that's the right word i'm pretty sure it is like towards you know, society and like how we were being, you know, kettled around. So I mean, it's just interesting that I didn't know that was January 6th that we did that, but that makes sense given the lyrical subject matter and shit, man, that you just, you just gave me pause. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Well, how about, how about, how about we do this? Is that light in the mood? There it is. Thank you. 
Now I'm back. We're back. No, I just remembered I could can insert like dumb shit like that in uh, in these in these podcasts. Um, regardless, so we we do a thing, Sam, where we started doing this on Twitch, and I know you were a guest on our Twitch channel a bunch of times, where we play the track a cappella because it's fun, and you don't hear <laughs> you don't hear a lot of the shit that like you do in the track because the you know some of the delay throws and stuff like. You know, you just don't hear them. They're more of like a texture thing than than an actual thing. So we're going to play this right now. And after we're done, you're going to have to explain yourself as to why there are so many vocal effects in this song. Uh Because I listened to this today and it's like, holy fucking shit. And then it's a a thick boy. And then we'll also get into the (laughs) lyrics as well after we have a bit of a refresher. So here it is from top to bottom. It's over. Acapella. It's all falling down around me The last grain of sand slipping through the hourglass And it can be so overwhelming Like racing to a red light Someone cut the brake lines Nothing's making sense I'm running out of breath My heart is beating faster and faster It's happening again The walls are closing in I'm trying to hold on But it feels like the end Kill the curtain call, roll the credits, it's over Death is creeping in and it's never been closer All the violins won't make us sing slower Put me in the ground, throw the flowers, it's over the last time it almost killed me <laughs> I could see myself drifting through the afterlife And from hell I saw my body lifeless flat on my back Tied up to the train tracks Nothing's making sense, I'm running out of breath My heart is beating faster and faster It's happening again, the walls are closing in I'm trying to hold on but it feels like the Kill the curtain call, roll the credits, it's over Death is creeping in and it's never been closer All the violins won't make us sing slower Put me in the ground, throw the flowers, it's over Take me out of this world! Where trust is corruption I'll always pray the pariah So give me death and destruction I smash it all into pieces Rolled in the glass till I bled This whole ride was just a head rush Drop the flowers, I'm dead Kill the curtain call, roll the credits, it's over. Death is creeping in, and it's never been closer. All the violins won't make us sing slower. Put me in the ground, throw the flowers, it's over. And Shane, I think that that like listening to that acapella like really speaks to uh, what we were saying about like being in the studio. Like I, I think that that second the second verse into the like screaming bridge part, like the the mm-hmm. second verse uh, where you kind of bring it into a scream, uh, you know, the tie me to the tracks yeah. kind of part. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then also the also the whole like the performance on that whole bridge screaming part like that was all sort of figured out on on the fly in the studio like the song had its bones but yeah uh all of that was was really uh, like of the moment and i think that that really like ignited the song and like for all of us like uh took it to the next level 
Yeah. And and that's and that's honestly one of my favorite performances, uh, vo- you know, vocally on the record of yours. Thank, well, thank you, Bill. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, for, for my question for Sam, I mean, obviously, like when you're mixing this, you're putting this together, deciding how you're going to mix and like or produce too all this stuff together. Maybe this goes back to the question I asked you when you're mixing a band you didn't record. Like you had me double certain things or do other extra, you know, textural things and then you decided where you're going to mix it, where you're going to affect it, where you're going to put a long delay throw or a short delay throw, where you're going to keep it really dry. I mean, that's that is incredible to me how you're able to pick that apart and kind of map that out in your crazy brain uh, with what you're going to do. That that to me is, is is amazing when you hear it in that way. Thank you. For, actually, before I even go into that, I want to say that is maybe one of like, in general, like one of your best vocal performances. Like that song is up high the entire time. And I think, I don't know if you guys discussed it on other podcasts, but I think the fact that you guys were off for so long, like your voice had so much time to sort of rest in between making a record yeah maybe you i hadn't i honestly haven't listened to that probably so exclusively like that since i made the acapellas and just listening back to that was kind of insane it was so aggressive in like the right spots um i think one of the things i do when i produce and this song's a really good example because as heavy as it is you're constantly trying to carve space for dynamics by doing different moves along the way and i treat it sort of like at one time I used to have this philosophy of like, well, if I want something louder, I'll turn it up. But then I sort of realized that kind of falls flat when if you want something louder, sure that works. But if you want something to sort of be more aggressive or pop or do something new, just add more to it. And I think the joke we had during the record too was more everything. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That song is like a perfect example of more everything. We're listening back to it. It doesn't sound like it was too much that we did more everything. Like that song is constant movement, but still, in my opinion, flows along exactly how it should. And that vocal is like a perfect like statement towards that, where like, I think I have you doubled on pre-courses, but not during the verse, because I want those pre-courses to kind of like jump a little bit and be a bit more chaotic. I also probably left those doubles, like a, I can't really tell, but like a touch more loose than say like the triples in the chorus, where now the chorus drops, let's get you big and wide and a little bit of distortion tucked in with you. And the pauses, I mean... In the acapella, you you can't tell, but everybody I'm sure knows the song by now. There's such long pauses between the like synth and guitar hook and your vocal that it was just inviting to have like a delay rhythmically move through to the next vocal yeah. while the doo goes on through it as well. But there's like an automated four-minute like shift har- like harmony to those delayed tails, right? Like on I the, think I noticed yeah. that. On the it's overs. Okay, so in the chorus. There's a tripled vocal. I think there's a low octave, and then there's a fake low octave as well, which is just the stereo tripled vocal with Alter Boy like pitched down an octave. So it's just like really lush and thick in the like low register, even though we had real low takes. It's still I don't know why. I was like, yeah, just do this as no, well. I you know why? It's because it's my favorite thing in the world, and I'm always <laughs> pestering you to do it. And I know it's much much to Shane's chagrin because you're not the biggest fan of that sound, Shane. So we like <laughs> bury it. But I notice it uh, kind of. I think as we play more acapellas as the series goes on, we're gonna find a lot more of that. Oh, there's treats uh, that people aren't. You don't really hear in the or, you know in the record, but like there's something about just knowing it's there that makes me sleep better at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I felt the same way. It does give it a certain texture and flavor for sure. I mean, I mean, there's no question. I think it's because I come from a place. I mean, a lot of us come from a place where it's like guys in the studio and he's like, it's one vocal and it's done in two days. And like, maybe there's a harmony on like a couple lines on the record. And when they are doing harmonies, it's just like, one note like you know yelling it's you know because i come from that rawness when i hear myself like i don't want to say overproduced but what maybe i perceive as overproduced i start to get freaked out that stuff is going to get just so much that it just loses the emotion but i think we all from working with obviously you sam and paul mark for so long i think we all understand that the goal is still the performance. It's still the emotion. Yeah, 100%. It's to enhance yeah. the emotion 
however we can, right? That's that's the goal. Yeah. I think a lot of the times when it comes to like newer artists making music or or artists that aren't as good, you hear a lot of that stuff because it's trying to mask something, but it's just like with any tool when it's used on an already great sounding thing, as long as it's used correctly, it's just going to enhance that thing more than like mask uh, something else. You know what I mean? Like your focus is still how powerful your main vocal is, but now you've just got this creepy little thing like tickling the back of your ears being formatted down and tucked away that you might not notice on your first, you know, five listens to the song. And then one day you're driving in your car or something. It's like, Oh, that's pretty sweet that that's kind of like tucked in no, there. I never noticed that. One day you listen to the Silverstein, the Silvercast podcast, and then you hear this acapella, and now you can never unhear those little things now that are in the song, which maybe is cool. I mean, you know, because they're there. Yeah, 100%. So, I don't know. Um, let's talk about the lyrics. So, we, we played it acapella. Uh, obviously, this was a Paul Mark and little bit of build joint coming in i know we all kind of rallied around the vocals in the bridge um you know we had kind of one of those collaborative and that second verse and the second verse yeah yeah yeah. we had a kind of a collaborative moment in the studio where we were all like you know putting our heads together to talk about like okay what what are we trying to say here what are we trying like what is the song about and what are we trying to you know really put forth um, so I'll, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Paul Mark, like coming into this originally, what was your vision and then how did it change? I mean, I mean for, yeah, first, for starters, like I want to first acknowledge like a lot of people picked up the pen on this one. You know what I mean? Like more than almost any other song I can think of that we've done. I, I we'd have to look at the publishing credits, but I think <laughs> there's like seven Seven of us it's, got it's involved. The, in it's here. the most by far yeah. that we've ever done. Because, yeah. like, originally, again, like, I'm in a session, like, full credit to Cars- Carson and Grant, as it was with in Bankrupt, uh, Marcus and David. I did, I like, wasn't ready to be there, like, emotionally or creatively. I was just like, I didn't really want to be doing this, but it was something I felt like after seven months of the pandemic, like, I had to get back on the horse. And the best way to do that would be. Uh, to work with people who had stayed working the whole time, who like weren't impacted emotionally, or at least were able to like work through it in a different way than I was. So like my first thought was, okay, well, the only thing I feel is rage. And, but the musically I have like no ideas. So we're going to work with what Carson and Grant have here, which was not a very ragey song. So what originally came of it was like this, I think was like not a very good song. And I'm sure Carson and Grant would agree. Like in its original stage was just like, this the the feels don't match up here like lyrically what i was feeling and what we ended up trying to say made no sense with how the song originally sounded and that's why i put it down for so long but then working with bill months later again on january 6th which i didn't fucking know which is crazy uh that like definitely brought in a more specific uh kind of like i hate to reduce it all to a fucking meme but it's that like dog in the room on fire yeah uh saying everything's fine and that's like kind of where that's sort of the heartbeat i think lyrically of the song uh where the chorus just gives into it entirely right like you kind of are in the verses and pre-choruses exploring like what it feels like to be trying to reckon with those feelings of helplessness and stuff and in the chorus you're sort of just like you know what fuck it i give up it's over uh and then working with you and uh both you know everybody actually on this screen on that second verse and and uh bridge that was like, okay, this is now fully formed, uh, in, in my opinion. So I'm curious to know, like, because I had I had been living with it for so long. I wonder, like, I know everybody kind of had a hand in it. So, like, where, how did you come at it? Like, I don't know if we talked about specifically what the song was about when we were doing that. We definitely talked about it. You definitely gave, you know, gave us the gave us the the emotional spiel, which is never easy, right? Because as we all know. When you sit down to write a song and you start writing a word and then by the time you're at the end of it, it's like things progress so much within that moment and that song and within your own mind to when it's like when you have when it comes down to like explaining it to someone else, it's difficult. But I think you did do a pretty good job of conveying all the things you just said to me. And I remember the um, 
tied up to the train tracks line specifically like i really wanted like i think we all really wanted to use that because that's such a graphic image and kind of how we felt with this hopelessness of this pandemic like this just looming thing coming towards us that's going to end it all i think that that was a really powerful image in that in that second verse totally and it needed that reinforcement right Right. to just like continually bring it back because i i think i mean i definitely notice myself i get i can tend to like feel a lot really fast and then not have a good specific like material way of conveying it so i kind of get a bit outside myself like i get a bit like outside the physical you know world and i sort of like can lose i don't know lose the anchoring point at some some point so Mm -hmm. it's really nice to have a line that physical that's just like you like almost like i hear that line and i like feel the like fucking railway ties like on the backs of my arms you know what i mean which is like i'm fucking lashed to this cold metal with like one headlight coming down at me like all it takes is a line like that to put me firmly back in the moment in that song and i think it was the perfect line totally totally i just think of like uh that the trope of like the villain right like the little guy in the black hat that comes up and grabs the the pretty woman and ties her to the tear and tracks goes ha 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 i've got you now you know like there was something that that the the song like the song needed a villain or something right and that that uh line really just like i'm over this take me out of this world you know yeah well, and that's that leads yeah. us to right into the bridge, right? Which, you know, has the well, the smash the pieces throwback, which we debated was great. Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna are we gonna go there again? We we've done that a few times, but I think yeah. Another other thing I remember is I was really stoked on some of those lyrics that I helped come up with, and um, I remember I said the line was like, "I'll always be the pariah," and and PK was like. What's a pariah? <laughs> I forget. You've already explained it to I, me. I, just, I remember too, because I like I love I love those little like lyrical like uh throwbacks and like your they're like little Easter eggs to like sure. our old material and stuff. And like one of my favorite bands is the Hold Steady, and they do that in like literally all of their songs. But I remember too, you were uh you wrote the lyric um the last time it almost killed me and i was like yeah use that because that's the name of a hold study record oh okay <laughs> like because you you had a different you had something else like you said like oh the last time it it nearly was the other word we debated it nearly killed me and i said oh use almost killed me because it's the hold study reference and you're using the smash into pieces reference which is which is like a hold steady like method you know I'm sure we wanted to appease you, Bill, but I'm sh- I'm almost certain we we did almost because almost sings a lot better than nearly. Well, of right? course yeah. it does, but I I, I just <laughs> yes. remember being really stoked about it and being like, yes, it almost killed me. Yes, yeah, do but, it. But no, I mean, I mean, we we all know it sings better, but like, I don't know if that's something the average music listener like understands that sometimes an artist will use a certain word, not because like it's a better word lyrically, but because it sounds so much better. It has like like almost has so much more to it than nearly. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. that's a really important for thing. you. I I think if we were getting Ollie Sykes to do it, I think I could hear him pulling off nearly better than almost like a British person. <laughs> do you hear it? Uh, yeah, I, I I know what you mean. I I don't hear it exactly, but I totally know what you mean. Like with different singers having different inflections. It literally yeah. killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like thinking back, I wonder if I pushed for ne- nearly because I feel like one of the things I don't like is when a lot of consonants kind of pile up quickly and you've got the last time it almost killed me. But I don't really rem- like I can't really remember how deep we went into de- like deciding between the two before we sort of just rolled with almost. No, and I don't know about that specific line. It's And it's obviously like it's hard to remember every little detail like that but i do know that i think on this record more than other records we did think about that stuff a little bit more when we were debating between certain uh lyrics or lines or words it's like okay well what is gonna actually sound better more than than the meaning because yeah i do think the sound the soundingness is more important than almost or near i mean it means the same thing like right but what's gonna pop you know Absolutely. Watching you guys work through this song was interesting. It was definitely, I think, because I'm not a lyric guy, you know, and, and I'm always amazed at how 
writers and stuff can pull together really cool lines. But yeah, you guys were just tossing words. Like it was word soup. It was Wordle. It was, it was, Wordle. It was pre-Wordle. It's like, pre-Wordle. is there an S? There's always an S. <laughs> yeah, like literally like like the, the second verse and, and, and the bridge. It, it was a wild time. And, and, and seeing everyone be excited too, right? That was like, yeah. you know, there's different days in the studio. There's more mechanical days. There's also very creative days. Uh, where you get to let loose but this was very much like everyone like operating at 100 capacity i think that speaks to you to the fact that we were all there like we were there 24 7 there was nowhere to go we were living there and i and i can think back to like previous records where like shane i'm sure you were you were just like left in the booth with just the producer or engineer um to kind of come up with these, these things but we were all it was just a moment that we could all kind of chime in and say this is what I, here's an idea I have, or here's what I, you know, my reaction to that. It just like, I think it was the, like the first time that I've even felt like being in the studio and like hearing something and just being able to say like, that's good or that's bad. Or like, I feel that, you know? Yeah. hundred percent, man. That That's really observant of you. I think too. I think of even some of our classic records, you know, like discovering the waterfront or arrivals and departures, I would literally be the only person in the state, like in California, like you guys would be like, all right, bye. And I'm there living alone in this apartment with the, like going to the studio, recording the rest of my vocals to where it's like, okay, I feel great because you guys trust me with finishing off the songs we've spent the last six months or whatever writing or our first record, like our whole lives writing. And, you know, that feels good for me. But at the same time, like, there's times when it's like, damn, I, I don't know. I'm It's me, and I don't know, may, and maybe the producer whose opinion I like, I'm supposed to trust, but I don't have other people to bounce off. And in a way, like, sometimes that's great because I can focus on what I need to do and it's easier. But the challenge of like having five other people in a room with veto power. Being like, nope, that's weird. Nope, do that again. Nope, I don't think that makes sense. Nope. Like, that makes it way harder for me, but also a better result. For right, sure, yeah. yeah. All, all that matters, like like what you said earlier, Sam, about like, I just forget everything that happened in the record. Like, we, all we yeah. have and all anyone has is the record, is the final stereo 16-bit 44.1 compact disc. Which everyone yeah. still buys, but you, they don't. They never see how the sausage is made at the end of the day, you know. Exactly right. So for me, all those times that I was in the booth alone, and and whether it was you, Sam, or Jordan, or or our previous producers, like I'm making these decisions. Sure, like I don't regret anything, but it's way more difficult when we have a full room. But if the result is better. I'll do it 10 out of 10 times because yeah. because I like sometimes need someone to push me. I'm not perfect. I'm not 100% always focused as you guys very well know. No, what? Sometimes I need that. But it's, uh, Bill, you brought up a very important point and that and with this record with us all living together on top of each other, it really did push me as a vocalist, as a performer, as a singer. Totally. And it like I I think it made you absolutely better in that context and like I said, like I, I don't feel like I've I've ever been that involved in like, say, the lyric writing or something. And like th- this song, you know, Paul Mark and I worked on it a little bit, but just being in the studio and like feeling that I have the the agency, just the place to say that that could be better or like, let's do that again. Or like, can we get that better? Or just even think back on, on old records and to be like, I wish that I was yeah. there to say that I hate that, you know, like, because I know that you could be better that I know that there's there's something else there. Yeah, right? or even just like a little thing that bothers you, like like a a tiny word or a tiny inflection, or like you know, all of a sudden like people will give give me shit because like I sound sure. Canadian on a word, and it's like, well, I didn't, <laughs> well, I didn't catch it because it's my voice, and the producer didn't catch it because he's Canadian. Like maybe someone else would have heard, you know, heard that like weird annoying thing, right? So you know, there's that those those things over the course of a record they add up, right? And and um, that's I feel like part of why Misery Made Me is the best record we've ever made is because of the environment that we made it in. Just because you finished tracking vocals for that day doesn't mean that's it. Like we at any time could revisit it and go back and be like, you know what? That whole first verse could be better. 
and we yeah. can just reattack it. And I know we did that with certain stuff. I can't think off the top of my head, but I know we went back after like leaving the studio and we're having a couple beers after, uh, and you know, we just start talking about it. It's like, Oh, we like, we probably could have done that more like this and it would have been better. And then we can just fucking do it. It's awesome. And just that idea that like you went, when we're multi-tracking stuff, like we might Paul Kohler doing the drums and just sort of being like, okay, my job's done, you know, like uh, the record's tracked, right? And then like, it all yeah. comes down to the end where you're you're left to do the vocals alone in California or whatever, right? Like, I think this process like made for a, yeah. a much more collaborative space and uh, ultimately a better yeah. record. Although I'm sure Paul, you must've loved the earlier records when it's like, all right, give me like three days to record my drums. I'm like, peace out. I got two months to like, just do whatever, you know, that must've been great. <laughs> y- y- yes and no. Yeah, but when you when you're grinding through pre-production and then have to nail it the next day, we're we're this like we got to live with the songs a little a little bit more yeah. too. And, and and what I wanted to say though, like it definitely felt like a record of encouragement, where like it's like go go do the best take you possibly can, and like it's okay. And if you need to spend more time on it, that's great. Or if you're 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 tapped out for the day, we'll come back to it tomorrow. Or there is that room full full of of all of us, even friends popping in and. The rest of the studio staff who was just like hearing the stuff for the first time and saying, oh, that's great. Like it, it was very much like letting everyone just kind of like be the best version of themselves, uh, explore those those opportunities and, and just just really reaping the rewards. Because, yeah, it, w- it was a record experience unlike any other that we've had. And uh, I think the results definitely show. I mean, yeah. it's over. It doesn't exist without that culture yep. that was f- fresh for this album, because like. For, you know, you strip it down, you can play an acoustic version of it and sure, that will be the song. But like that song specifically, I think, relies so heavily on that vibe in the studio where it's like, throw that guitar on it, put this on it, try this vocal thing. Like, just throw everything at this song. And if we don't like it, we'll get rid of it. But like for now, everything is yes. We're doing like anyone has a vibe like I want to execute that vibe. And like that, I think, allowed generally speaking us to have individually and collectively kind of this like increased sense of ownership. I think where everyone feels like they see their fingerprints on every track, but it's over specifically just because of the nature of that production and how it came together in the studio after, I mean, you heard the original demo. We you know, you can go back to it. Rewind listener. If, uh, <laughs> if you need another, so of that. He's a better singer than I than I give him credit for. Actually, he, he sounded no, he, good on he's, there. I mean, like I said, that was super phoned in. But if you think about it, like that, wasn't going to be bad, and I think we could have done it like that, and it would have been a fine song that you know maybe doesn't make any waves, but it's a song and it would be someone's favorite song because it always is. But like, I think we made something really special and unique that only existed because of that the the format under which we recorded it. Yeah. I wanted to say quick about the format of it. Like I, I touched on it before, but like we, to paint a bit of a picture, we had literally every single thing set up at every moment. So like if somebody wasn't feeling doing something one day, we just didn't have to do that thing. Like what else needs to be done? Here's a chart of shit. Let's go through it and make a part. But we do a lot of those during records. We did a lot of those, like let's work on verse two in a song days, you know, like, where it's like all we're doing for this next four hours is like writing this second verse. And it's over is a really good example of how important the end result of the vocal is to the rest of the song. Like if you listen to the timing of the up to the train tracks, like that shaped that drum beat, that shaped the dropout of the music afterwards in my production, which is definitely something I remember you guys were like not a fan of right away until I was like, give me, let me do this. Let me, <laughs> let me show you what this is going to sound like. You'll love it. I promise. But it goes to show that like none of those things literally right back down to the cores, like none of those things would have existed if we just didn't have the vibe we did when we made that, you know, like if, if Paul Mark and I did like verse two writing sessions in beautiful place to drown as well. And it was just like a nighttime thing. It was like, let's write. I remember when we were working on the second verse of, uh, of the, of, Oh my God. Coming down. Was it coming down? Coming down. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, cool. We we wrote it that we just show it the next day and like it's recorded, but that didn't happen. Like so many important things 
that second verse, it sounds really dumb to say because the rest of the song was pretty much done aside from the second verse and the bridge, but that second verse shaped so many important moments in the full production of that song. And yeah, you're right. It could have just been recorded like that. It could have been recorded, you know, like rhythmically verbatim to the first verse. There's just a million different ways it could have been done. But the fact that it came out that way is really awesome because it was just nurtured by the environment it was in 100%. If they didn't lock the studio every night at 10 p.m., like we would have been in there and, you know, three, four in the morning, like laying shit down because that's how it was. That's how it was going. You know, yeah, like, I wouldn't have left and dude, slept on the floor. That's totally the difference. Like, in a, you know, this is the same. We're talking. It's the same six people responsible for A Beautiful Place to Drown, which is a record. I'm I don't know. How you guys feel I'm extremely proud of. I think Absolutely. it's an awesome album. But the the step up that Misery Made Me takes from it is all unlocked by that very thing. And it can be boiled down to this. All the second verses are better. Yeah. On every single song. <clears throat> Absolutely. Like, and and that seems like a funny bullshit thing <laughs> to care about. But based on what you just said, how it unlocks these other little things that can then be like utilized in other parts of the songs and what it does to maybe the bridge or the second. You know what I mean? Like all of that. I think that's just an interesting thing I would have not thought about is that second verse is the reason we're always writing them in the studio is because I never write them. Yeah, you I'm literally like, never second do. verse. Who, no one's ever been like, I hate that song because the second verse isn't good. It's like never fucking happened. So I never worry about it. I'm like on to the next one every time. What would the old fit in the studio? Maybe Shane doesn't even like it. I don't know. Right. But in this case, we made sure everything was perfect to the point of all those second verses being like a, a group effort of like making them as good as they could be. Totally. And then allowing them to influence everything else. Absolutely. I think it's interesting though, because a second verse, uh, it, it's always in a weird place because it's, are you trying to repeat what you're saying? Are you trying to reinforce it? Are you trying to find a new perspective on it? And and every song is different as to which of those kind of things you want to do, right? And I think like totally. you have a you have a verse, you have a chorus, you maybe have a bridge idea and you have a theme of the song. Well, okay. Well, now what is the second verse going to set up? And it's like it's like a very important thing for that purpose, right? Um, and I think when you have it in a group environment like we did, it sort of like gives it that perspective to where we decide like, okay, what, what, what is this song really about? Or what, what is a spin on this song that could be, you know, uh, put, put forth that's, that's important, right? Yeah. I forget what podcast I was listening to. It was more or less an argument for hiring a diverse staff that was they called it like the ketchup or the ketchup problem or something but it's like where do you keep your ketchup it's like a lot of people keep it in the fridge but a lot of people keep it in a cupboard and like if you're talking about how to organize certain things like those two perspectives would be competing with one another and there's like not really one that's right but that's just like a jumping off point or like an example of how like people looking at things from a different direction will like ultimately give you more opportunities to find the best solution for a problem and like I do often think of songwriting as problem solving, especially when it comes to a second verse, because it's like the theme of the song is already decided. If that's all you have left, you already have your theme. It's over. It was like, we're not going to change what this song is about at this point. The second verse isn't going to do that. But what it might do and should do, and I think in our case, if it's over, it absolutely does do is uh, put a fresh perspective on the original subject matter and get you to a place where that second chorus feels different right like the lyrics in it as attached to the lyrics of the second verse feel different than the first chorus does to the first verse though the the chorus lyrics are identical yeah because the second verse sets it up to feel differently and then that brings you it makes the bridge make way more sense because of that and like that i find to be like really fucking cool 100 percent. and i could have never gotten there on my own because like that's i had already said everything i could say about it without talking to other people, you know? And that's the Absolutely. beauty of collaboration. We well, um, this has been a lot of fun. This has been episode two of Silverstein, the podcast, uh, cast into pieces. Silvercast. Silvercast. <laughs> cast into pieces. Yeah, that's jo- uh, that's yeah. a Josh joint, of course. Every t- every time Josh <laughs> just wins. Yeah, that one wins. But Sam, thank you so much for, for hopping on with us. Oh, thank you I for having me. I know you got me. big Monday night plans usually, so... Oh, a huge Monday yeah, Night Plans. Yeah. Is Melrose Place still on? Is that what you watch? 
Uh, yes. Mondays are a bitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> regardless, thank you, man. And uh, thanks for, for helping us come up with some great production on It's Over, some great uh, lyrical ideas, etc. You're the man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Next week, we're going to be diving into Ultraviolet, the third single from the album with the really funny dancing video that I do. I hope I'm not a meme yet, but I might be. Uh, We're going to talk about that one, and I'm excited. So make sure you subscribe and follow and do all those things, and we will definitely see you next time. Let's go!